Turn with me over to the book of Luke. Book of Luke. Some of you might ask, why do we do Christmas Eve services and not Christmas Day? Well, in the Hebrew calendar, the day actually started at 6 p.m. So our days we have in the Western calendar, 12.01 midnight goes to the next 12.01. But in the Hebrew calendar, it started at 6 p.m. and went to 6 p.m. And so we are actually beginning kind of in concert with the tradition in which our faith was birthed, the Hebrew way of life. And the church has continued with this tradition for millennia. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. The title of the message is Birthing Hope. It says, Now in these days, those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family of David. Verse 5. And he went in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Lord, help us as we study your word. Two things on this passage about which I'd like to speak to you. One, what it means to be beckoned to the home of your father. And two, what it means to birth his will. Well, we have a, a really inconvenienced couple here, Mary and Joseph. Their lives have been completely wrecked by God. And if you've walked with God long enough, so has yours. But the wrecking of our lives by God is always to our benefit. It's just that he wrecked the thoughts that we had about how life ought to go. And if you walk with him long enough and understand that his will is better than yours, then you realize whatever thoughts you had about how things ought to be were either all wrong or too small. That he had something much better than you ever could imagine. And Mary and Joseph were just considered to be a nice Nazarene couple. Boy, she was the finest girl in the youth group, and Joseph was a very upstanding carpenter. Everybody had thought this was like a perfect match. Joseph, a righteous man, marrying the, 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 the girl who, who memorized more scripture than any other person in the youth group probably, and had gold stars all over her refrigerator. And this was just amazing. Everybody in the community was happy. I mean, when a betrothal happens, when a man goes to the father of the intended and he says, I want to marry your daughter. Please give me the right for her hand in marriage. He brings money with him, resources. And it's not that he is paying for her. We're not talking about a purchase. We're talking about the, the estimate of value. And before anybody begins to think, how misogynistic. Please, now hold on. When somebody pops a question to you, you do want them to put a ring on it. You don't want them to go to the gumball machine, put in a quarter, and pull out something that looks real gaudy and say, here, I love you. Will you marry me? You want there to be value placed on his question. 
What do you think about when you think about marrying me? What do I mean to you? And every society has some idea about what value should be placed on that question. For the Israelites, it was pretty steep. We see the, the Jacob. Jacob was in the Old Testament. The Jacob of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That Jacob was running from his brother because his brother had thoughts about not doing very good things to him. They had a fight. Eh, not good. And he had to get out of Dodge, and he went north to his relatives, his mother's brother. And there he decided, I'm going to hang out until my brother Esau kind of cools off a little bit. As he went to his mother's brother, a man named Laban, he saw Laban's daughter. Now, back then, it was okay to marry your cousins. Not good now. Back then, good. And Laban's daughter, Rachel, I mean, would put most top ten models to shame. They did, not bad, maybe seven, meaning from ten to seven. You, I thought that was funnier. It sounded in my brain funnier <laughs> in here than when it came out. She was amazingly pretty. So much so that Jacob says this. I don't have any money. I had to flee in a hurry. I got the clothes on my back. But what I will give you for her hand in marriage is seven years of labor. Now, take whatever you are paid annually and multiply that by seven. That's a serious engagement ring. That's a value that is put on somebody of stature. Not a purchase. It's saying, you're worth this to me and more. That's probably in the neighborhood of what Joseph had to pay Mary's dad. But he was a blue-collar guy. And we're not quite sure what it was, but we do know this. It was pretty common because you had to fork over a significant amount of cash. Pretty common for an older man to marry a younger woman because it took a long time for that man to get enough resources in order to acquire a woman of stature. Joseph was a little bit older than Mary, we believe, as evidenced by the fact that when Jesus got to the age of maturity at 30, Joseph was off the scene. And nothing about his life would have thought, made us think that somehow he left. He's probably passed. He may have married Mary when he was someplace in the late 30s. Most men who worked blue-collar jobs, the average lifespan was 56. 56. And so if he had lived for the life of Jesus, he may have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 65, 70. That would have been ancient back then. So we think he probably passed. And here they were. He'd paid the bride price. Life was good, all was right. And, and right after he popped the question, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. And she says, well, what does that mean? I mean, I, I'm not arguing with you, Gabriel. I, I, I believe God's, but what, why are you here? Well, the Lord has called you to bear his son, and you're, you're going to be pregnant. Now, you know what runs through a young woman's mind when she just got popped the question last week. You, do you mean like when Joseph and I marry one another, I'm going to be pregnant? Is that, is that what you mean? Because that's what happens. Well, we're going to have a baby. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean now. Um, how? How? Because I'm a virgin. 
Gabriel says, well, the power of the Most High is going to come on you, and the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and the Son will be, that will be born will be called the Son of God, and you will name him Jesus. Okay? Let it be done to me just like you say. Now, the power of those words sometimes are lost in our religious tradition and that we say, well, this is what happened and this is what needed to happen in order to get us right. But do you know all the things were going through this woman's brain and she had to say yes? This is how I would have responded, and shamefully so. Could you, like, go have a conversation with Joseph, too? Because that would really help a sister out. Because, like, if I go to him and say, um, yeah, I'm pregnant, and uh, he's not going to be real happy about that, and then he's going to ask who's a, who's a baby daddy, and I'm going to say God, and then he's not going to believe me, and all this stuff, could you just, he's right down, we can walk together. I, I know if he, that's a conversation I would have had. And Mary just says, whatever you say. God wrecked her life. And everything about what God wants to do with you is bigger than what you think. And it's probably going to destroy your plans. But it's only that he might do more with you, not less. And that others might benefit greater. Mary said yes, and look, this place is filled tonight. Thousands of churches all over the world are filled with people who are celebrating the fact that Mary said yes. People's lives have been changed for the better because Mary said yes. Millions of people have not entered into eternity without God because Mary said yes. You have no idea how much the inconvenience that God is trying to bring to your life will help make you and everybody else around you better. But inconvenience is the order of the day if you want to be a real believer. There's nothing about this life that fits in very comfortably what I want and what I will. I've got to submit everything, all my life, my thoughts, my dreams, my hopes, to my God who knows better. Inconvenienced immeasurably. Then Joseph says he's a righteous man and he's going to just say, okay, listen, Mary, I'm not going to do anything. I lost my money. It's non-refundable, by the way. I'm just, just, just go. Just go. This is nuts. I care about you. Bye. I'm gone. Angel comes to Joseph and says, listen, I realize this is hard, but the thing that has been done in her is of God. It's of God. So marry her, please. Joseph says, okay. Yes, sir. Lord, you know you're wrecking my life, right? I have a lot of, of good, strong years of reputation in this community, and, and everybody's going to know somewhere around the fifth, sixth month that either I did something inappropriate or I'm marrying somebody who did. And I can't explain that to all of my buddies at the Kiwanis Club. <laughs> at the local Rotary, I'm going to lose all my reputation with my friends because nobody marries a woman 
who has another man's baby. And what am I supposed to tell him? God did this? I know you did it, but nobody's going to believe me just like I didn't believe her. You're wrecking my life. Both of them accept it. And they get, get on with life, and they think Nazareth is going to be the place where life is going to continue for them. And, and though it might be a difficult spot, with all the people who know them well, they'll make a way of it. And then all of a sudden, Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the known world in that region, says, time for everybody to go back to the home of the registry, and we're going to take a census. And she's eight months pregnant. And Joseph's thinking, I said yes. Why? Why? I've got a good business here. If we get there, and it's going to take us a long time, if when we get there, she's going to have the baby. I can't come back to it. It's going to take too long for me. What am I? Yes, sir. And it's important for you to recognize two things. That when God calls you to do something, sometimes it may not be with such angelic pronouncement that you know that it's him. This second time when they were called to move from the place that was familiar to a place that was unfamiliar came from Caesar. And Joseph and Mary probably weren't theologians, so they began to study the scriptures. After all, this happened, that's for sure. But I don't know that they knew that the baby was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. I don't know that they knew that. But, but God did. And so they may not have wanted to travel, but God had Caesar Augustus give them circumstances beyond their control where they had to move now because the census had to be taken at a certain time so that the baby could be born in Bethlehem. Sometimes things come beyond your control, and it may be some man, woman, institution that pushes you to do something that you may not even want to. But I want you to know, if you have submitted to his will prior, if you have said, Lord, you are my Lord, and whatever you do with me, I'm good with it, even if it feels bad. If you have submitted to him like that, whatever comes down the pipe that's beyond your control, He's right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of it. All you have to do is comply and not buck. They get down there. And all of a sudden, because, because the word came to them when it came to them about the senses, and he knew he couldn't travel fast. It is, it is hard to be pregnant when you don't have to travel. I've never gone through that circumstance. But it's hard to be pregnant when you don't have to travel. It's hard to be pregnant when you have to travel in a car. I can remember my wife is birth six. Dear, could you not target the potholes? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll drive better. It's hard just in a car. Think about riding on a donkey for like three or four weeks because you can only go maybe 10 miles a day. And it's 90 miles. The most you can go is 10 miles a day. And so they're uncomfortably traveling. I, I, both of them are thinking, I, did, sign up for this. this. I don't know how this is. And then they wind up in Bethlehem. And they're the last ones. The last ones because everybody else went in a hurry to register. And they probably registered and then went back home. 
they couldn't go back home. And so they wind up at the hotel. The only place that, that they think might have vacancy, except everybody has already taken up all the spots. And so they knock on the door. The innkeeper comes. Do you have room? No. Well, you don't understand. My, my, my fiance wife is pregnant. I, I, she's about to give birth. Please. Well, I got, I got this barn. And barn is really a very, it's a euphemistic way of trying to make it nice. It's, it's a cave. Now, now caves have the, their own aroma. They have their own sense of nuance and feel. Cold and clammy generally is the order of the day in a cave. Have you been to, to Luray Caverns? You ought to go, it's nice. Once. <laughs> They've made it really nice. They've got lights put up every place you can see stuff. It's beautiful. The caverns that go through the Blue Ridge Mountains, really cool. But you cannot get away from the fact that you are in a cave because it feels clammy. And it smells musty. So it starts off bad even if there weren't animals in it. Starts off bad. And then you put animals in it. And you, you, you've got the, the aroma of musk with must. <laughs> a bad combination for the olfactory system. And, and, and this is the preferred place when God could choose any place on the planet to birth his son. He is God. That's what he does. This is his preferred spot. And it really speaks to this that we are pretty reluctant to make room for him. We like the way life is going for us and we're not interested in changing course. We're living contrary to his will and we're good with that. We don't understand not only is it going to cost us in, in the long run big time, we're going to have to pay more than we're willing to pay and more than we can, more than we can for, for our disobedience. But because we want to to get out of the way of the immediate sacrifice that it's going to cost us to be most right, the sacrifice of our will, the fact, sacrifice of our direction, our thoughts. We don't make room for him at all. Yet he is the creator of the universe and the maker of our lives and the one who not only made us but then sacrificed the most to remake us. We started off in his image. We fell. And now he wants to recreate us in his image. And in order to do that, he has to, to find a little sliver. The God of the universe who made all and fills all has to find a little sliver, a crack in the door of your heart to try to get in because we don't want him. No room any place. Okay, I'll take a cave with some nasty animals in it. And I'll use that as the environment where I birthed the king of the universe. You ought to feel really encouraged. Because I don't know that you smell that bad. In fact, you look really good tonight. But our souls are pretty messed up. Full of sin. Nothing about them is very pleasing. And yet, God is not prudish. He's not shy. He loves you like that. That if he was willing to birth his son in a cave that had just been used by animals that evening and be placed in a manger 
which has such a romantic sense to it now because we do our best to try to clean it up. But it was a nasty, sloppy, slobber-filled spot to put the baby Jesus in. If he was willing to allow his son to be birthed there, your soul's nothing. And he wants to be birthed in your life. But we need to make room. Need to make room. And you may have been drugged here tonight by your loving relatives. They have used this as an opportunity to make sure at least you're going to be preached to once during this Christmas season. I get it. I get it. And you're here and you have no choice. I get it. So Caesar brought you. Caesar brought you. Right in the middle of the will of God. Nobody's forcing you. But I do want you to know this. That he's trying to make just a little sliver of you being here and giving him your attention, the opportunity where he can birth his son in your life. I beg you, surrender. Surrender to his will. Let God birth something in you that is going to be a benefit not only to you, but everybody you know. Re-experience the merry moment because he's still in the process of birthing. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. And inspire us and help us, please, to live our lives being mindful of what it means to celebrate this Christmas season.